That's right. So we're studying tonight. All right, Matthew 15. I think tonight's lesson helps us to picture what it looks like when you have your negotiable and your non-negotiable um, intact. So um, last week we talked about, you know, John the Baptist and how he told Herod and Herodias the truth that, you know, he was carrying on, that they were carrying on with Philip's wife, that Herod was carrying on with Philip's wife and that was wrong. And then, you know, it cost him his life. So we talked about when do you make a stand, you know, and of course, the non-negotiables. What, what's non-negotiable? When can we make a stand? It's when it's non-negotiable. The Bible says, God says, and we should, without hesitation, be able to stand on that. That's non-negotiable. But then we talked about, but then we got to make sure, though, that our motive is pure. We mentioned how when John the Baptist went to Herod, you know, he, he didn't go with this finger of condemnation. He went and told him the truth because what was Herod's intent? Herod... Herod was doing something wrong, and when you do something wrong, you carry guilt. That weighs on you. It permeates, sin permeates to every part of you. So what does, what does John the Baptist, by telling Herod the truth, even though, yes, it's not always, it's not always easy to accept it when somebody kind of calls you in on something, but what was, but what was John the Baptist's intent? to change so that he can be set free, so that his guilt can be gone, that families can be put together, that the marriages can be back where they should be. Truth will put things right. And so we should be able to stand up for what's right with the, with the motive of not criticizing, but correcting. Even though it might cost us, but what was the negotiable? What's the disputable? And we talked a little bit last week about what is negotiable and disputable. It's when the Bible doesn't actually say, and then we allow the Spirit to change us, and as, as we grow in the Lord, he starts convicting us of things that need to be changed but we were seeing last week is that we can strongly stand on the non-negotiables, the, the words of God, what the Bible says, but we need, like in Romans 14, where Paul said, we got to loosen up a little bit on the non-negotiables or on the negotiables and the disputables. We've got we've to kind of loosen up a little bit on that because, because in, in so often we have it flip-flopped. And what is a disputable? What is a negotiable? And that's that's our two cents. The way we've taken something and we've we've kind of made it into what we wanted to say. And I think tonight is what we see it in in just in visual. Because look now, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, "Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders?" Now there's your underline. You take a look at that. Right away, you should have a, a red flag of hey, you know, tradition of the elders means that that's man-made. 
It's not scripture. It's a man-made. These Pharisees added such enormous pressure to the laws the, that, that God had for, for them. But they would just add so many details and just, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. And, and this is, look, when these traditions of the elders... He said, why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I know you're thinking, well, you know, that's a good health hygiene thing. And, but but you, know what they, you know what they thought? They put that in the same category. They put the, the negotiables, their man-made rules. If somebody broke that, that was just as important that was just as terrible as if they, they sinned against God's word. Now, I know sin is sin but it, it, in, the, in the Lord's eyes, but this was man-made stuff that they, they pressurized the people and it was so, they were so consumed about, oh my goodness, they didn't, they didn't wash their hands before they ate and then they missed the whole point. They missed the whole lesson here. Remember how we said that if you could really, and I think the video did a bang up job. What did you think of their faces? I think they look negative. I think they look crabby. I think they look critical. And I'm thinking who in the right mind wants to follow them? All that religion is so false. And they put so much pressure on their man-made rules and Jesus is trying to get them beyond that and get them real. And, and so he replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? See, now, now Jesus is going to go back to the Ten Commandments. Now, you know, we all are well aware of traditions, but Traditions are really there to help us follow God's commands, not be the command. They were never intended to be sacred. Traditions are good in their place, but when they get bigger than God's word, that's when we have a problem. And so what Jesus did is he brought them back to the non-negotiables. He brought them back to the, the Ten Commandments. This is what God said, write this in, in, in tablets of cement, of stone, because that means it's, it is not negotiable. And one of them is, and he's saying, what's the matter with you? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. See, you know what he could have just as well come out and said, you liar. You walk around in all your religiosity and in all your crabbiness and in all your, you know, all that. You were so quick to put people down and they don't measure up to your, your religious pious attitude. 
And he said, Jess, would you look in the mirror? It's really what that man was. See, what they were doing, they're liars. And what is a hypocrite? It's, it's a deceiver. It's one who says one thing and does another. That's deceit. That's lying. So what these deceivers were doing, they were, see, what it was in the culture, and I don't really think things should have changed much. I think it's supposed to be that we are to honor our father and our mother. And even though we get to the age where we don't have to obey them anymore, that's not what the command is. We are to honor them. And as they get older or whatever, I mean, you know, after what they've done for us, that the common, the common um, re- response is when you need something, let me now be the one to help you. And what they were doing is, if their mom or dad needed some help, they, they would say, oh, I'm sorry, but I just gave all my money to God. And they really didn't, but that was their way of getting out of it. That's what he, Jesus said. You think I don't see that? I know. Remember, that's what the beginning of Matthew was all about. He kept drilling into it. I can see. You might, you might be fooling everybody else, but I can see. I can see your motive. And I see you lying, you hypocrite, you deceiver. You're so caught up with washing hands before they eat. That's a man-made thing. I never said that. But I did say, honor your father and your mother. And you think you got everybody fooled except me. And the thing is, you know, Jesus came at them strong. He did. And then when he said, okay, I'm going to quote Isaiah, because he knows them, and he knows that they know every one of those verses, and and they take such self pride in the fact that they know all those verses and he's again trying to say okay let me go these people honor me with their lips and but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are but rules taught by men he says one of these days I want you to see that Isaiah's talking about you this is you Jesus wants them to see what is Jesus even though he's coming down hard on them what's his motive He's saying, I want you to see yourself so that you change, so that, that, you, that you hang on to the non-negotiables and you start loosening up a little bit. Your heart is so wrong, and yet you're outside, you think you've got everybody fooled. And then you saw the reaction. You saw when he tried to communicate. He tried to say it with his words by bringing him to the, one of the Ten Commandments. And then he quoted from Isaiah. You know his intent was for the lights to come on and for them to say, wow, that's me. But instead, see, if this doesn't show you, we've got two choices. You can either receive it you can receive the truth of the non-negotiable the way God wants us to live because he knows it's the best way we, for us to live. We can either accept that and, and listen and learn and be transformed, changed, or you can do what they did. What did they do? Oh, I mean, it was, you could almost see him put their fingers in your, their ears. In fact, you did see, in fact, I'm so glad because I really believe that that's what happened. I mean, they just, they just batted their hand at him. 
Like, what a bunch of nonsense. See, this is what truth, the non-negotiable truth, you can either hear it and receive it and learn from it and change along, or you can say, I don't want anything to do with it. How many times have you heard me say, God didn't make it complicated. He only gave us two choices. You want to do it your way? Okay, that's one choice. Or do you want to do it my way? And I have given you every tool necessary for you to know my way. And he saw, he saw them go like that. He saw them turn around and, and choose no. So then what did he do? He called the crowd to him. Because what can you do? If somebody doesn't want to hear, if somebody doesn't want to hear, you can't make them. So then you go to the ones who are going to hear. And so he called the crowd and he said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. You know, in the Old Testament, during the Mosaic and Leviticus and all that, all the laws, and it all was symbolic of Jesus fulfilling, you know, all all of that, the the food criteria, you know, what was clean and what was unclean and what they could eat, what they could eat. Jesus is trying to say, you know what, that's all, that's all over. It's not what you put in your mouth. Go have a piece of bacon. That is not what's going to make you unclean, but you know, it used to, it used to be they couldn't eat any of that, but all of that had, had some reasoning behind it. But Jesus said, I'm changing all that. I came to fulfill all that. It's not what goes into your mouth. It's not all these little picky-uni rules anymore. It's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth. And, and, you know, I tried to, you know, put songs tonight that really emphasized. I think tonight, if you want two words that will describe Matthew 15, and that is heart and grace. It all has to do with the heart. And in Matthew 15, it is just so gorgeous the way Matthew wrote so that we could see the contrast between when someone is just religious and when they're so caught up with the man-made rules and the negotiables and the disputables and their critical spirit and they don't catch what Jesus and who Jesus really is and what he's come to do for us versus then as we go into the story of the Canaanite woman how perfect that he he followed Matthew 14 when we were talking about when do you stand for what's right and what really matters and when do you just let things go a little bit and let the Lord take each and every one of us on our on our spiritual growth journey it isn't our place to condemn it isn't our place to get so stuck and then we talked about, you know, when we do know that there are some non-negotiables that, you know, let's say, you know, we're confronted and somebody needs to hear that and it's not always going to be easy. But then we talked last week, how many times do you keep hounding them? Do you keep pressuring them? Do you keep, do you, are you like a drippy faucet? Are you a nagger? 
And there was one time I had to tell somebody something, and I looked at him, and I said, with all the love that I have for you, I have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you once, and I'm not going to tell, it, tell you again. And I'm going to tell you one thing that will continue is my love for you. But I am going to tell you once, but then that's it, because you've heard it, and then it's your call. But I want you to know you can count on me loving you. Now, I might not like what you're doing, but I love you. And I'm standing with you. But that sin is between you and God. I pointed it out to you. So make sure you know, because sometimes we get so caught up in it that we don't even see. But because I care and love, about, love you so much, and my motive is pure, I want to set you free. But I'm not going to tell you again. Now, then the disciples came to him and said, do you know what the Pharisees were, that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <laughs> I, I don't know what was going through Jesus' mind, but when, when the disciples said, hey, did you know that you offended the religious leaders with that? I'm sure Jesus said, of course I did. And I meant to. Because I want them to hear, I want them to have it right in their face so they can't, they can't deny it. But then if they choose no, well then I made it as clear as I could. Was Jesus, was Jesus at all nervous about that he offended them? Did you get that idea that he was at all nervous about, oh dear, oh no, oh you mean it? Oh dear, I better go, I better go talk to him, better make amends. Are you kidding in fact, he said, oh, let me put it this way. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled out by the roots. I think he's saying, okay, what's the plant? Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, in other words, all the lies and the hypocrisy and all the deceit and all the, all the practice of religiosity for for what people think of me instead of what Jesus thinks of me, all that phony baloney. Is it everybody that isn't real, everybody who is not, in fact, I mean, I'm going to elongate on that because what it eventually is going to mean is everybody who does not see themselves as a sinner in need of grace coming to the cross, the only place of salvation Anybody who has not have made that relationship real and they're just practicing church and they're practicing religion and they're doing all the traditions right because, boy, when people look at them, oh, aren't they good religious people? <laughs> Jesus says, that is so, I tell you, every one of those people, and that's why I remember Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord's going to enter glory. It's only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the Father's will for you and I? That we know his Son. That we accept what his Son came to earth to do for us that no one else could do. So Jesus is saying, I don't care all this baloney religion that they've got, all this, all the robes and all the stuff that they wear on their forehead that makes you so impressed with all the prayers that they hold up there and all that, that is just a bunch of nonsense. And on the day, what day, when he says, what, what day is he talking about when he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. When is that going to happen? On judgment day. 
There is going to be a judgment day. And the fake and the phony and all the, religi- all the religiosity is going to be pulled up. Now, he made it a little more direct before. And what did he say? What is he going to do with all those, um, with those weeds, um, all those plants that he's going to pull up? What is he going to do with them? Do you remember what he said he was going to do with them? Burn them. He's going to throw them in the fire. And you know, I don't think I have to tell you what that means. And then he says, leave them. You know, these are the religious leaders that what are supposed to be causing everybody to follow, you know, come to the synagogue, come to church, do as as I say, you know, all this kind of stuff. And look what Jesus is saying to them, to the crowd. Leave them. These are the religious leaders and Jesus is saying leave them because he goes on to explain. He says, because if you follow them, because they're so phony, and they're not teaching you the truth. All they care about is the negotiables and the disputables. They just want to make you feel guilty. And you don't do everything the way they do. He says, I'm trying to bring the commandments, the, the non-negotiables before them. They could care less about that. He said, you better leave them. They're blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both are going to fall into a pit. That's why every week we do this. And, I, you know, when, we, when you say this is God's word, every word of it is true, and it has got everything we need, and I, and I end by usually saying, and that's why it's worthy of studying tonight. Nothing else is. And, and you know, it is a responsibility. And I, I look at that, and you think, man, you know, you, I know that many of you have been steady with me for a long time and you've developed a trust in me. And, you know, I appreciate that. And you know I study hard and I would never want to lead you astray. But, yeah, it, it is so important when you look at that. I think when you have the responsibility, I mean, I could be going down the wrong direction because you've gotten to trust me. I could take you the whole lot of you right with me, right down the wrong path. I remember when I used to um, bring all the kids up when I used to sing, and, and boy, that was the day when I had a ton of them, and those kids, and, and you know, I think I've told you this before, that, you know, their little eyes are just watching me, and they just do and say everything I told them to do and say, and, and I had a lady, you know, once tell me, she says, boy, do you realize your power over my little girl? And I said, no. She says, well, I told her to do something. She said, but Linnell says... And I know that's cute and all, but, you know, someone else asked me, what keeps your life right with the Lord? What is it that keeps your life? Why do you work so hard to keep your life right with the Lord? And I said, look at them all. Look at all those little eyes that are watching. And the thing is, four of those eyes are mine. Two little boys and one bigger boy. But yet I'm thinking, you know, that is that we all, we, we may not all maybe teach a class, but every one of us is somebody that's looking to us and trusts us. And, and where are we leading them? By our life and by our words. Where are we leading them? What, when they look at us, what do they see? 
But when he looked at them, that crowd, and said, don't follow them. You leave them. And they're the ones that are supposed to be, the, you know, you're supposed to follow the religious leaders. But they're wrong. And blind's going to, will lead the blind right into the pit. Those were powerful words. And then Peter said, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still so dull? <laughs> and I'm so grateful that this, that this, um, this video is helping us to kind of see, like last week when, when Peter was sinking and, and Jesus did put his finger in his face and said, you know, and, and yelled at him or whatever, or criticized him or condemned him or whatever. No, he, he immediately put his hand out for him to take. But he did say, come on. And I know he was kind of laughing, but it wasn't that it was funny, but he was just saying, we've got a long way to go because you are, your faith is not what you think it is. Because he said, you know what? I saw you doubt. And we talked about it last week, and I repeat it again tonight. You cannot say, I have faith in him, and I trust him. I know his plan is perfect. I believe his will is perfect. And then say, but... It just doesn't work. And Jesus made it so clear last week when he said, you can't, you can't say I have faith because he said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Little faith and doubt go hand in hand. But strong faith, total faith, will never take doubt's hand. So here again, he's saying, you know, are, are you so dull? In other words, okay, we're just got to keep going until you finally get this. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. Now, I want to make sure we clarify something, because haven't you always heard the saying, um, what you put in comes out, right? And here, pretty much, it sounds like Jesus is saying, it's not what you put in your mouth, you know. But he's just talking about the religious food. He's talking about that, just that, that uh, food thing. He's not talking about, if you, if you feed on pornography, <laughs> you know, I mean, you put all that stuff in your mind, so we, I just want to make sure that's not what he's talking about here. He's, he's, he's talking about that, you know, that, that religious food thing, you know, that whole unclean, clean thing, you know, the pig and all that kind of stuff. He's saying, you know what, that is not important. That is not, it's not what you chew and what goes into your stomach that makes you clean or unclean. No, it's what you put into your heart. It's not what you put in your stomach. It's what you put in your heart. Because that is what, in fact, do you know that what's in your heart is going to determine what kind of character you have? What's in your heart is going to spell out your character, the real you. That's why it's so important that we work on our heart compared to the time we spend on the outside. It's, it's the heart. And what's in the heart is that what's going to come out of us. 
But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating in unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Everything starts, you know, remember when we did Romans and Proverbs together and we saw how Paul was so emphatic about, you know, we need to have our minds transformed. That's why, that's why it's one of the pieces of armor. We've got to guard what goes into that head of ours. And what goes into the head, then what goes into the heart, and that, that's what makes us us, and that's what comes out, out of the overflow. And I had you look that up what Luke said, out of the overflow of the heart, what speaks? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so out of that, it all starts with the thought and look what it can turn into. If we, if we fill our, our heart up with all those impure things and we start sitting there and thinking about it and pondering on all of it, he said, it's going to turn into actions. That's what makes you unclean. So be careful about what's going into that heart of yours and what you're choosing to put in there. Because that's going to determine your character and what's going to come out of your life. And that's what people see. That's why we need to be transformed. Remember when Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be thinking different. You've got to be putting different things in it. It's your choice. He said, how much clearer can I make it is what you put into your heart is going to determine who you are and what others see. I have this little phrase I say all the time. You know, when I work on my heart and and I find that the body just follows. When my heart's right, the body follows. (laughs) Goes flip side too. When the heart's wrong, the body follows. Now we're going to contrast the story from, from that ugly, fake, religious, critical, negotiable pressure standing on the traditions of the elders. <laughs> you know, when Paul, in one of his letters, when he started listing all his credentials, That was one of the things that he listed, that if anybody should have thought that I was really something, one of the credentials was that he followed all the traditions of his father. That's what he said. I followed all the traditions of my father. The same thing, traditions of the elders. Oh, man, I made sure, you know, and and, I might have said this to you before, but, you know, Tom and I have a, a... a couple of friends that we met years and years and years ago in one of our first homes. And we just clicked with these neighbors across the street. And and, uh, we knew that, that, you know, they didn't have a church home or, you know, they didn't, on Sunday, they didn't have the same kind of format that we did. And, you know, but we just, we just enjoyed hanging, hanging out with them and going places with them. And we really clicked. 
an actor who, after quite a long time, I just, I just felt like it was time, and I said to her, I said, is there anything that happened to you? Because, you know, she made it known that she, that, you know, her parents were Catholic, and, you know, they lived on the west side of Grand Rapids, and, you know, they and so, you know, one time when we must have been on this subject, I said, is there anything that happened that, you know, just kind of soured you that, you know, that you don't even follow even your, in your Catholic practices anymore? You know, is there something? Because I just kind of knew. And she said, yeah, you know what? It happened when I was a little girl. And we're talking, you know, years and years and years later. But this this made such an impact on that family, even though she was a little girl. She said, she says, you know, some of us Catholics, we lived on this side of the street. And I'm just going to say the denomination. I'm just going to say it because it, it, that's a fact. I'm not, I'm just going to say it. And she says, and then all, then we had this Christian Reformed family on this side of the street. Now it could have been Baptist. It could have been. It could have been Reformed. It could have been. Um, it could have been any other denomination. It just so happened that it was Christian Reformed. So I'm just going to tell you the truth. Because I don't care what denomination. When man gets in the way, <laughs> and every denomination, you know why it's a denomination? Because somebody got a bug in their bonnet and thought there was time to create another one because, you know, I want it my way. That's why we got a humpteen denomination. So that's why I, I'm just telling you the difference. So here she says, and, and between us, between our streets was this park. And she says, you know, we didn't think, we, we just loved to play on Sunday afternoon and we would go to the park and play. And she says, well, I'll never forget one, that family, they was marched over, can you just see them? I bet they had robes and all that looked just like that. And they marched across the street and they pointed their fingers and said, we don't do that. And that is such a sin. We don't honor the Lord's day. Now that's negotiable. That's disputable, but they made, she said, it was so terrible that my family, right then and there, we never entered the church again, and I haven't been in since. Now, you're talking all these years later. To her, that's what Christian looks like. Somebody put as much worth on playing, playing in that park on Sunday afternoon as as any non-negotiable of God's word in this poor family. It is so sad. I mean, look, at we've even watched the traditions change. I don't know about you, but there was a day I couldn't wear pants on Sunday. I'd stay in my church clothes the whole day. And of course, we couldn't swim on Sunday, couldn't ride our bike on Sunday, except if we were on vacation. Then we could. But then, but then, get this, we couldn't splash. I mean, come on. This is about, when I'm reading these stories, see, all that disputable and negotiable things, the Bible doesn't say that. Now, the Bible does say that we are to have a day that we are to set aside and we are to honor him. Well, then, you figure it out. You let him convict the way you think, but it isn't our place to put our finger in someone else's face as the Lord has to deal with each individual on their own level. 
and as they grow in him. I told you about my TV program, and I know everybody's dying to know what program that is. And I will never tell you either. Somebody somebody took me aside last week and said, you can tell me. I said, nope, nope, I'm telling nobody. Because I don't care. Yeah, I want you to take a program that you've been watching for years, and it may be, you know, I don't, I don't care. The Lord deals. He dealt with me on this particular program, and he deals with each and every one of his children. He is slowly but surely convicting us and growing us and maturing us, and it is not our place. The Lord knows what to do with those negotiables and those disputables. And when we start taking precedence, we can burn somebody to the point that they don't want to come. Now, the thing is, we're going to see the absolute opposite in this story. I just can't wait to meet Matthew. I cannot wait to give him a big kiss. I hope we have bodies so that I can do that because I think he absolutely wrote this in a way that my eyes are being opened to be able to show me what, what the teaching of Jesus is really looks like. So leaving that place. Now, I, I want you to catch something. Look at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So, okay, he deliberately went to that area, and he withdrew there. So, you know, he didn't, he wasn't going to just walk through. He went there purposely, and he withdrew there. So he stopped. Now, I want you to look at verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. So you tell me, who did he go to that area for? That lady. I don't know about you, but that just gives me chills all over my body because I, that's how much he loves. He went into that Gentile territory, and he went into that area for one. That's how important one person is to him. I know some people love to take this story and, you know, they think Jesus is mean and all that, but, but there's no way that Jesus was mean. He had a plan. And this is the way he loves us to come to him. Do you think when this lady, when you watch this lady run, was she desperate? That's exactly the word he loves. He wants to get us to that fourth watch. He wants us to get into that, that darkest night that we are so desperate that we have nowhere else to go but him and that we finally realize that, yes, he is the answer. So this is the way he operates. Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out. Look what, this, this is so beautiful too. She called him what? Lord. And she called him what? Son of David. Does this woman know who he is? Oh, she does. She is no dummy. She has sought this man out and learned. She listened and she learned, so now she knows. And she comes after him. How many times did I use the word confident tonight in my prayer? That we can come to him with confidence because we know him. 
But what does it take to know him? It takes time and effort and work. It took her to, to listen and to learn this because this is Gentile territory. This is pagan territory. She had to somehow go against all that other so that she could know who he was. So she calls him Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me. So what's her place? What does she see? It starts with an H. What do you see? She is so she is so humble. Have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. Okay. Now, this is all part of his plan. Does he always answer us just the way we want it right now? Nope. Sometimes he makes us wait. He wants us to see how much we really believe, how much we really will persist and go after him because we know him and we know what he's promised. So to say, is he playing with her a little bit? Well, I don't like the, really the word play, but I do like the word test. Is he testing her? You better believe it. Does he test you or not? You better believe it. But that's how he grows us up. That's how we check to see what we really do believe. That isn't just a bunch of religious words Okay, Jesus did not answer, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. I mean, this is so typical, isn't it? Can't you just see those guys saying, oh, what a pain in the neck. Do what you have to do, get her out of here. Now, I know it's just a man-made video, but I, I do think it's so anointed of the Lord because I do think that when I saw Jesus go like this, when he, when he shushed him, like, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. It's all, this is all in motion. They don't understand. Why? Because they're learning. They're still getting to know, but Jesus knows, and he is shushing them so that, no, now you wait. I'm not saying anything right now because I've got to see. And then did you see how she kind of pushed that one disciple right over? <laughs> oh, you bet she did. And then he answered, and I think, I think it was hard for him to answer. I think he just wanted to scoop her up, but I think he knew he had to say this to her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, is that a true statement? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because remember, when, when Jesus left, he said to his disciples, you first go where? To Jerusalem. And then move out to the suburbs into the Judea. Then move out to Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the, wor of the world. But you start right here. He did come for the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. I have to read something that I, that I found from, I don't know if you know, if you've heard of this old, old preacher, but I, in fact, I, bought a, a book for each one of my sons for Christmas of Charles Spurgeon. And he's just one of those men that grabbed a hold of God's word and had such a way with words. Now, I want to read. I, I want you to read what Charles Spurgeon wrote about that verse. When that woman came and knelt and she said, Lord, help me. Three words. I commend this 
prayer to you. He called it a prayer because she knelt before him. And remember, we know that prayer isn't just when you close your eyes and fold your hands. And prayer is when you want to connect with him. And when she said, when she knelt before him, she said, Lord, help me. She connected with him. So he said, I commend this prayer to you because it is such a handy prayer. I'm never going to look at those three words again the same because now I'm going to look at those words and know that they are a handy prayer. Look at what he says. You can use it when you're in a hurry. You can use it when you're in a fright. You can use it when you don't have a place or time to bow on your knee. You can use it in the pulpit if you're going to preach. You can use it when you're going to open up your store. You can use it when you're rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer that I hardly know any position in which you could not pray it. To be able to think that we have a handy prayer right at our disposal. Three words, Lord, help me. And apparently it was sufficient when she said those three words. Apparently they're powerful. Apparently they, they, get, they get his ear because he said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. You know, again, people get all bent out of shape there because they think, you know, that was not very nice because, you know, Gentiles were known as dogs. Now look at her answer in verse 27. Look at her answer. Yes, Lord. What does she admit? She admits that she's a Gentile. She admits that, well, I know I might be really stepping on toes here. Or I might really be, uh, this might be controversial, but I don't care. Um, if someone has ever whispered in your ear this, I wonder if you're not one of the elect. I wonder if you might not be one of the elect. If anybody could have heard those words, do you think it was this story? Do you think this woman, when he said, you know, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs? I would say that's about as much as you can say to compare with, well, I wonder if you're not one of the elect. Because this pagan Canaanite woman probably, to the disciples, to the Jewish nation, probably thinking, no, she is not one of the elect. What do you know about Jesus' character here? What do you know about, in case anybody ever says to you, I wonder if I'm not one of the elect, what are you going to say? If you come to Jesus, what does he promise to do? Will he cast anybody away? Will he say, no, sorry, not for you? If you want him, I mean, look at what you've been saying. What is, what is his favorite word? Come. Uh, you can't you can have it both ways. You can't say Jesus has come and then also say that he picks and chooses. Oh, no, you're not one. You're not one. If anybody, now, granted, if anybody doesn't say yes to him, well, and he knows that too, but I'm just saying that here's a Canaanite woman that probably heard very clearly in her ear that she didn't belong, that she wasn't one of them. 
Did she care? No. In fact, she admitted it. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You know what she's basically saying? I'll take what they don't want. I'll take what they don't want. And from the first part of Matthew 15, look at, look at those religious leaders, look at those Jews that didn't want it. Jesus is showing his disciples, look, she wants it. Oh, I think it's just so gorgeous. Then Jesus answered her, Oh, I think he was just so waiting for this. Woman, you have great faith. Now, she had a lot of great attributes. I mean, she was persistent. She was a good mother. She, you know, she um, had shown many great characteristics, and yet Jesus didn't mention them. He commended her for what? Her faith. That's why Hebrews 11.6 said it's faith that pleases God. We can be a lot of things and do a lot of, you know, a lot of good deeds and a lot of good things, but it's our faith, it's our trust in him that pleases him. Hebrews eleven six. because she, she was a good woman, but it was her faith that, that was commended. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, then he went up on the mountainside and so he accomplished his purpose inside Tyre and Sidon. And he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid him at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seen, and they praised the God of Israel. In other words, that was why Jesus was doing all these signs and wonders, to get them to believe, and it was working. Jesus is in different territory. I don't know if it's totally Gentile territory, if it's a mixed territory, I don't know. I, I have a tendency to want to think it's Gentile territory because of, the, of what happened next. So Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. You know, I got to tell you what I did Thursday morning. I got about six ladies in that class that if I go one minute past 11, they're up and out of there. <laughs> now, I could be on the last word of the last verse of the lesson, but if, it, if I go 30 seconds, one minute after, I'm telling you they're out of there. And I always, I never knew quite when to say something. All of a sudden, the Lord gave me the words right there and there because they stayed three days. I said, some of you gals can't even give me 30 extra seconds. You can't even give me one minute. What's so important that you got to get out of here? So within one minute's time, they were willing to stay there three days. They might have took some sustenance, but they didn't want to leave Jesus. It was so good. He said, I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And the disciples answered, well, where can we go and get enough bread to this remote place to feed such a crowd? <laughs> what was your thought when you read that? 
don't you get it? I know it. I know. Before you get too critical, um, when you go home tonight, look in the mirror, and that fits. It fits with you and I, too, because he could have just been there and did this for us last week, <laughs> and we forget. And so, you know, it is it's part of his teaching mechanism. But I also think, and, and some say, well, maybe it was the same. Maybe Matthew, you know, no, it was not the same. We're talking different location. We're talking different numbers. We're talking, you know, the seven loaves. But this is where you've got to see the seven loaves. And that's why I think it could be Gentile territory. Why he's doing this miracle now. So he says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus um, asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Same thing. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he gave thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the, and then they in turn to the people. I would dare say that, yes, they started with, you know, well, how are we going to feed? We don't have, you know, we we're in a remote area. But it looked to me when I was watching, I thought, I think they caught on quicker. I think that all of a sudden they thought, oh, yeah, that's right. Now, I think this is what spiritual growth is. I think the quicker we say, oh, yeah, that's right. The quicker that, I mean, I know we're going to go three steps forward, maybe two steps back, but it can't be as far back as we once were. And as we continually grow, I think that span between our faith and our doubt is going to start start coming closer and closer together. And we're going to start realizing faster and faster to go to him first. Trust him. He did it then. He'll do it now. So he gave thanks, and they, he turned, and they ate and were satisfied, just like we saw last week. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets, broken pieces that were left over, okay? Seven. Now, of course, last week with the 5,000, I think Jesus really wanted to make a point. Do you see that I have, I, I, can, I can not only supply, but I can give you each leftovers. But seven what is that number in scripture? What do we know about that? What does that number stand for? Complete. Could it mean that, that the feeding, because remember we, talk, we talked about when you feed on Jesus, he satisfies you. He is enough. You know, was it Jewish territory last week? Is it Gentiles t- territory this week? You know, you just watch that number seven. Jesus came to feed us all. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets, and then the number of those who ate were 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus um, had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat, and he went to the vicinity of Megadon. I love the way that ends because, you know, what is it basically saying? Does Jesus say, oh, oh, boy, that was a good one. That was, you know, no, he goes on. Should we ever, oh, that was a good Bible study. Oh, that's all I need. No, we got to keep going. I think that last verse just kind of spoke to me saying, you're just not done. The work's got to continue. Your spiritual journey's got to continue. We got to keep moving forward. We got to still be working at this. He's got so much more. So good lesson. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>